Well, good morning, church. We'll try that one more time. Good morning, church. Good morning. Are you fired up for God's word? If you are, say amen. All right, now, if you would, open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. If the Bible is new to you, start at the end of your Bible and work backwards, and you will run right into it. You'll find 2 Peter, and then you'll keep going, and you will find 1 Peter. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4 uh, for the next five weeks. So while you're finding this passage of God's word, allow for me to pray one more time. Father, we're calling upon your grace again. Father, would you please um, do the work of ministry that needs to be done in these moments. Father, we pray that you would teach us your scriptures fresh. Father, that you would brand them into our hearts, that we would be able to appropriate these truths, live out these truths, think upon these truths, meditate on these truths. God, we, we want to live lives that are purposeful and on point and on mission for you, God. Please help us to this end, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, and all of Mission Church said? Amen. So now we are, this morning, launching a new series called Too Little, Too Late, Stewarding God's Grace Without Regret. The driving thought behind this series is this. Too often in life, we go on believing that we have too little until it's too late. Too often we go on in life really focused on what we don't have while overlooking all of the tremendous things that we actually do. I look across this room, knowing so many of you, and even if I could lay eyes on those of you in the Myerstown campus as well, having just seen you last week. Most of us, we want to grow. We want to serve the Lord. We want to help others. We want to live our lives on mission for sure. We really do want to accomplish great things for God. But really, more times than not, we find ourselves paralyzed by that which we perceive to lack. And from day to day, that perception can be different because some days what I'm lacking is simply motivation. Other times I look at the budget and say, if I just had more resources, I could, dot, dot, dot. If I had more margin in my life, I had more muscle, if I had more strength to do what the Lord has called me to do, certainly I would get after that. Friends, the Bible says this this morning, and let's get right at it. God has given you everything you need. God has given us everything we need to serve him right now with our lives. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this, His divine power has granted to us all things, all things that pertain to life and to godliness through the knowledge of him. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says this, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. Abound means that his grace not only is sufficient for you, but it's gonna overflow in your lives. God is going to give us more than we need. The Lord has given us all the grace we will ever need to serve him and more. But far too often, far, far, far too often, we find ourselves living our lives like this horse. Do we have a picture of this horse? (laughs) 
Potential is an interesting word, isn't it? It's one of the great compliments that you kind of don't want to be paid. To be told you have potential basically is to say, hey, you can, but you're not. You should be, but you aren't. And so often we we overlook our own potential. We overlook our own strengths. Not a strength that comes from ourselves, but a strength that comes from the Lord. And I don't know about you, but it's so much easier for me to see other people and how they're missing their potential. Anyone with me on that? I can like tell, I can give you 10 tips on how to reach your potential in your life while I sit there kind of tapping my fingers wondering why God doesn't give me more. Uh, Moms and dads, It seems like God gives us great practice of this on our children, doesn't he? You see potential in your children? Right now in my household, like potential, potential, potential is bubbling, it's bubbling. So my little little two-year-old turning two on Wednesday, little Joshua, right now in our backyard, there's this giant, just wonderfully, it's a trampoline, all right? We got a trampoline in the backyard. And he keeps running up to the trampoline and he wants on the trampoline until you go to put him on the trampoline. Like, no, 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 no. Until finally, daddy just takes hold of him and says, come on, you're going to love this trampoline. No, no, no. And he's freaking out until about five bounces in. He realizes, more daddy, more daddy, more, more daddy. Right? We got a second son who right now is afraid of the dark. And we're trying to figure out where this fear of the dark came from until we began to realize that his brothers and their friends have begun to tell them ghost stories right before they go to sleep. (laughs) And then, and then on top of that, they're starting to move his stuff and then saying, did you see that move? I have no idea how that... The tactic last night was uh, one brother looking at the other brother staring at him while he goes to fall asleep and then kind of tapping on him and like... We've got another son right now beaming, bubbling with potential. He has this strong desire to give everything away. (laughs) Even the things that aren't his. (laughs) Our oldest son, not to be named, is learning to play the guitar. And what are we hearing throughout the house right now? Strum, 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 strum. My fingers are too short. Strum, I hate my fingers are too short. Strum. And we as parents, we look at our children, we're like, oh my word, you're going to love the trampoline. There's nothing to fear in the dark. Stop giving my stuff away. (laughs) Have you ever stopped to consider that your heavenly father might look at you the exact same way, only with a lot more grace? Is there an area in your life right now where the Lord God probably just wants to wrap his hands right around you and take you upon this next pursuit, this piece of trampoline in your life? Is there? Is now a season in your life where God wants to take you by the hand and walk you through the darkness that you see coming at you? Does he want you to overcome a fear in your life? Maybe you've been blessed with the desire to give. Maybe you've been blessed with the desire of hospitality and you want to show blessing upon others, but you just need to learn how to steward what you have in your life so you know what's appropriate and how to do that. It's potential. Maybe the Lord is saying to you right now, come on, stretch your fingers. 
they're not as short as you think they are. Stretch your fingers and strum this guitar of life. I have something for you. Friends, that's what this series is all about. It's about us coming to realize that my God, our God will supply all of our needs according to his riches in glory. Do you believe that? Say amen. amen. But too often we go on believing that we have too little until it's too late. We have everything we need to serve God right now. And so what is the goal? To not let these opportunities pass us by now. And certainly we don't want to get to the end of our lives. And then having counted our blessings, wishing we would have. Now is the time to take your next step. Now is the time to do it that which God is calling you to do. This is a series about life stewardship, but our lives are best stewarded when we begin to evaluate our lives in light of God's grace. Have you counted God's grace in your life recently? Maybe right now in the margin of your notes, you would write down one significant grace that God has given you. What's one grace that God has given you? We're going to see in the text of Scripture that we're going to study in the next five weeks that God has given you that grace to steward. He's given us salvation. He's given you time. He's given you breath. He's given you resources. He's given you strengths and talents that he desires for you to use. And yes, friends, he has given you endurance even though you feel weak today. How do we best steward God's grace? How do we best steward this grace? How do you best steward the grace that's written on your page right now? You see, we steward God's grace best, I believe, at least this passage is going to draw out for us over the next five weeks, five realities that we need to come to grasp with if we're going to steward God's grace well. Here's where we're headed, friends. We will steward God's grace best when we realize that our security is in salvation. Our identity, our security comes in the salvation of Christ. Secondly, We'll steward God's grace best when we come to realize that seconds are short in our lives. Then we'll realize this, our stuff is for sharing, our strengths are for serving, and our suffering is ultimately for our sanctification. If we can get our heads around these five things, God can do amazing things with you in your life right now. So are you ready? Are you ready to dig into God's word? Too little, too late. Let's not, that, let, not let that be said of us. So if you're ready to dig into God's word, say this, the time is now. Amen. All right, 1 Peter chapter 4. Before we read the text, it's super important, always crucial that you understand the context. The context is king. That's how we determine the interpretation of every text. And so what you need to realize is this, the author of the epistle of 1 Peter, who do you think wrote 1 Peter? Pop quiz, who wrote 1 Peter. Peter, well done. Now, which Peter might this be? Yes, it's that Peter. One of the key three, if you will. One of the men who stood on the Mount of Transfiguration and saw at least a remnants of God's glory. Peter, James, and John, that Peter. The same Peter who denied Jesus three times, that Peter. The same Peter who Jesus said, do you, do you really love me? Come on, then serve, feed my sheep. If you think that doing great things for God 
If you think failing eliminates you from future potential, come on, think again. Peter wrote this book. The same Peter who Jesus said, here are the keys. Upon this rock I will build my church, the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Peter, you're going to go and preach this gospel. This Peter. Peter was writing to the dysphoria, if you will. The first verse in the first chapter says, to the exiles, to the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. The guys have a map. You can see where this is in Asia Minor. He was writing to these churches. He was writing to these sojourners, although some of them may have been exiles, having kind of spread in light of the persecution of the day. All of them, even if this region was their homeland, are spiritual sojourners. And Peter's writing to remind them of this. This is not your home. Is that an important thing to remember today? This is not your home? He's writing to them in a season where persecution was rising. How bad was the persecution? Well, it depends on the dating that you put on this letter. All of this context is crucial. Nearly every conservative historian believes that this letter was written somewhere between 62 AD and 68 AD. Depending on when it was written makes a significant difference because Rome was burned to the ground in 64 AD by the emperor Nero. Nero, it's been said, had an insatiable desire to just build, and he wanted to make a name for himself, and so the Senate told him that he couldn't build anymore, and so what did he do? He burned the city to the ground, and then he blamed it on the Christians. So we read. You starting to get the context of the passage? Regardless of the depth of persecution at the penning of this letter, what happens shortly thereafter this letter for sure is that Peter is brutally and gruesomely martyred for his faith. He will be hung on a cross upside down for simply naming the name of Jesus. Here's the context. The context is the day's are evil. The context is the time is short. The context is opposition is mounting. Is this context familiar to you? The context is Peter is trying to wake up the church and say, listen, make the best use of your time. Listen, I want you to identify God's grace in your life. I want to show you God's grace, even when it may be difficult to see. He's teaching them, friends, to steward God's grace right here and now so that when the end comes, they can enter into eternity without regret. You got it? You got the context? Come on, read with me 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And so to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. 
For the time is past suffice for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and then they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who were dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As has each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of the varied grace of God. Whoever serves, as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Friends, here it is. Our salvation provides us security. Our security, the big idea today is this, your security, your identity, your significance, my significance has to be found in the work and in the saving of Jesus Christ. And so the question for all of us this morning, that if we would have some self-examination is this, where do we find our security this morning? Where's your safe place? Where do you find your significance? Where is your happy place? Security. It's the state of feeling safe, stable, and free from anxiety and fear. What makes you feel safe? Significance. The quality of being worthy, useful, important, noteworthy. I'm looking out at a room full of people who struggle with these two things on a daily basis. And the only reason why I know that you may struggle with these on a daily basis because these are the struggles within my own soul as well. Where do I find my security? And where do I find my significance? Friends, where we find our security and significance will drive how we steward our lives. We will spend our time and we will exhaust our resources seeking to feel safe, secure, and significant in this world. We will exhaust ourselves. We will expend ourselves changing, chasing only that which can be found in Jesus Christ himself. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this. Here's where your significance and your security comes from. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as the result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you and I could walk in them. Do you see it? Where is your security? It's by grace you've been saved. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. This wasn't your own doing. You can't be lost. You can't be taken out of the grip of Jesus Christ's grace. You, your identity now belongs to Jesus. That's how you define yourself. I am Jerry, a Christian before all other things. 
And where do I find my significance? I'm God's masterpiece. I'm God's plan. He is at work in me. What I have today is what he desires for me to have. And what I will be tomorrow will not be a result of all the mustering that I muster up in my own passions and strength, but it will be God who is at work in me. Where is your significance? When you come to grasp this, As we dig in today, what I believe that you'll really truly experience in all this is a freedom. You see, salvation secures us by giving us freedom. When you find your security in Christ, when you find your significance in Christ, you will find that this security actually gives you a freedom which enables you to live your life in a fresh, new, focused way. So here we are in 1 Peter chapter 4. What we have today is this, three ways that salvation secures us by freeing us. You see, salvation secures us by freeing us in this way, point one. Salvation secures us by freeing us from our own passions. Salvation secures us by freeing us from our own passions. Look at verses one and two again. Since therefore... Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for their human passions, no longer for our human passions, but for the will of God. We're no longer enslaved by human passions. We've been set free from the desires of our flesh. And now in this freedom, we are able, we are now capable. We were not able to before, but now we are capable of actually living the will of God. Salvation in and of itself secures you and then frees you to actually become the person that God created you to be. Friends, how freeing is this? Some of you need to be reminded today that you are not enchained, you are not enslaved by the power of the gospel to that sin that's gripping you right now. Seeking help, confessing what's going on in your heart, crying out to the Lord, you can be free. That's the power of the gospel. Anyone here ever been led by the desires of your flesh? I mean, come on, think about it. This is not an illustration that you need. Come on, just think about yesterday. When I was, when I was hungry, I fed me. When I was tired, I rested me. When I, was, when I was bored, I entertained me. When I was scared, I protected me. Now, all of those things that I just mentioned are not necessarily bad, are they? You should feed yourself. You should protect yourself. It's okay to entertain. It's okay to take in uh, God's pleasures. It's, these things can be good. So when do they become evil passions? Note this, the word passion in the text can be defined this way. These desires which are legitimate, which God placed inside of us, only become sin when they enter into this realm, when they become self-indulgent cravings. When they become self-indulgent cravings that displaces proper affections for God. 
Healthy desires, normal longings become evil and sinful passions when? When they become self-indulgent cravings that displace proper affections for God. It's the things that we long for when we don't believe God is enough. Do you have your finger on that thing? When we want more than God gives, we shop ourselves into debt. When we lose sight of our identity and our significance and our security in Jesus, we selfie ourselves until we feel important again. And then we become depressed again when we don't get enough likes on all the selfies that we posted on our page. When we lose sight of God's security and his safety and our identity in him, then we move to numbing ourselves with substance and fantasy and we begin to self-medicate so that we can kind of remove these awful feelings and desires that we don't want to face anymore. Have you ever wondered, have you ever stopped to consider how much time and money we spend on sinful passions? One commentary very, was very helpful to me in breaking down sinful passions into three categories. Desires, cravings, and lusts. Desires, cravings, and lusts. You know, desires. Desires are what I wish to have. Cravings are what I long to have. Like, I long to have me a jar of pickles, whatever it is. I long for it. Lust are what we have to have. Desires. CBS News reported that um, we can have our desires met any time we want by reaching into our pocket and pulling out our gadget and looking upon the screens. And right now, our teenagers on average are spending seven hours a day in front of a screen indulging the desires of their flesh. How about us? How about you? If you have a desire, if you have a longing, it's fascinating how it's just a pocket reach away. Cravings, cravings, cravings. I long to have it. Why wait? Just pull out the credit card. Do you realize that right now, 13 trillion dollars, 13 trillion dollars is the amount of household debt. I know we get on our government for the, the amount of debt that, there, that is there. Come on, household debt in our country is 13.2 trillion dollars, 137,000 dollars per household. 1.04 trillion is in credit cards alone. That's roughly about seven to eight thousand dollars a person. Lust. Lust is what we have to have, and unfortunately, so often, lust is of the flesh, and it's estimated that worldwide, the adult, the adult entertainment industry is a $57 billion industry worldwide. $15 billion of that is estimated to be in the United States alone. That's netting more than the NBA, 
the NFL, the NHL, come on, name your sports, respectively. It's netting more than Hollywood and the movies that you're going to see. Have you stopped to consider just how abased, just how we've thrown ourselves to the passions of this world? It's all around us. And Peter says this, listen, we are no longer enslaved. We're no longer enslaved to the desires of our flesh, that which we wish to have, long to have, and have to have. Oh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, it can be Christ above all things. And some of you need to hear it's less about not desiring the other things, but desiring Jesus more. Let the vacuum be filled by the presence of Jesus in your life. And Peter is saying this, we are no longer enslaved either to the pampering or even the protecting of our own selves. When you get your head around this, oh, it is game on. Look at verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same kind of thinking. Whoever suffers in the flesh has ceased from sin. Whoever suffers in the flesh has ceased from sin. He says, come on, listen. Consider the sufferings of Jesus. Have you considered the suffering of Jesus recently? Was there ever a greater suffering in the flesh? Was there ever a greater pain inflicted on a human body? Was, has anyone ever endured a greater torture? Why is it that Peter is like, come on, think on this. Think on the pain of Jesus. Think on the agony of Jesus. Think on the torture of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I like to quickly move past that part and get to the resurrection part. But Peter's saying, listen, you want to steward the grace of the gospel? Well, you have got to take some time and consider the suffering that Jesus endured on your behalf. Because when you realize how much Jesus suffered, you'll begin to realize that your suffering can result in the same kind of triumph that Jesus' suffering resulted in. He's like, arm yourself. Arm yourself with this perspective. Arm yourself with this perspective. The son's suffering resulted in your salvation. Jesus' pain led to the pinnacle of all victory. The worst torture to ever be endured led to eternity's greatest triumph. And Peter says, come on, arm yourself with this mindset. If victory came from Jesus' suffering and the power of this Jesus, his Holy Spirit is indwelling you, then triumph can come from your suffering as well. If Jesus suffered in one and he's in me, so can I. You see, Jesus, this is a military term and we suit ourselves up and we gotta get our minds right and we've gotta get focused and realize that suffering is not for our tearing down but for our building up ultimately. Jesus not only suffered to pay for your sin, Jesus died to free you from it. 
You see, those who suffer, the text says, are now free from sin. Those who are willing to suffer for Jesus are giving evidence that they are free from sin. Those who are willing to suffer, Peter says, those who are willing to endure the pain, you are giving evidence that the Holy Spirit actually resides in you. One of the marks of true saving faith is this. I'm willing to endure. I'm willing to suffer. I'm willing to take the stand. I'm willing to speak out, even if it means suffering for the name of Jesus. And so if that's true, what's to be said of all the pampering and all the self-indulgence that I seek after on a regular basis? Friends, do you see it? Salvation secures us by freeing us even from our human passions. Whatever sin that you may perceive to be gripping you today, Jesus Christ suffered to save you from it. And even as it releases its grip from you, you may have a temporal suffering which is going to ultimately give way to a victory in your life. But you've got to be honest and you've got to come to the Lord and you've got to seek help. He wants to rescue you. He wants to secure you. He wants you to find your significance in him, not somebody else, not some other substance, not some other activity, not the amounting of masses of wealth. Nothing like this will ever come to fill the void that only Christ can fill. You feel like you've heard this message before. Friends, we no longer have to fill our schedules and drain our bank accounts to please ourselves or others and find security there. Jesus took the time and paid the debt for us. We're free. We're free. When you find your identity in Jesus, it frees you to live your life a whole new way. Here's the second thing. Salvation secures us by freeing us from other people's pressure. Salvation secures us by also freeing us from other people's pressure in our lives. Look at verse 3. For the time has come that is past suffice for doing what the Gentiles want to do. For the time has come and has passed suffice for doing what the Gentiles want to do. What do the Gentiles do? Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawlessness, and idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not engage and do what they do. And what do they do? Ultimately, they malign you. What Peter is saying in verse 3 is this. Listen, you've had enough time to live life your way. You've been stewarding your life one way for a really long time. And he, by the way, I don't know if he would be this snarky, but it's kind of a place to interject like, how's that going for you? You've had plenty of time to try it the other way, which is really confusing when you've seen failure after failure after failure after failure of trying to do it the old way that you would actually want to run back to the old way again. Didn't you have enough time? Didn't that much time suffice for you to see that that wasn't going to work? He's like, if you're in Christ Jesus, listen, the old is gone. 
The old is gone and the new has come. Jesus has freed you and he has secured you and your old life is over. Say it's over. over. Say it's over. over. Say I'm I'm new. Friends, time is short. Time is short. So don't let anyone pull you back into this old way of life. Don't let anyone pull you back into this old way of life. Verse 4 makes it abundantly clear. Your world, our world, our old friends, our family, our colleagues, whoever they may be, we pray and we want to be a, a salt and a light to them as it pertains to the gospel. But as it pertains to joining in the ways of our past, oh, God forbid, may it never be. They like the way you used to live your life. They found significance in you joining them in the significance that they found in those old activities. And now you're not doing those things anymore. And it really makes them confused. And it kind of actually ticks them off. You used to find your identity in this group. You used to find your identity on being the king of the this at the club. And you used to be this guy. And I don't even know who you are anymore. I mean, who are you? Are you too good for us now? Anyone ever heard things like that? By God's grace, I really did have a strong desire to be in ministry from the 10th grade. And I heard my fair share of preacher boy more times than I can count. Your life change is annoying. Your strength, your security, and this new identity that you found is incredibly frustrating. And by the way, it's making me feel insecure myself. And so what's the end result? Ultimately, we will be maligned. We will be spoken poorly of. We will be ripped down for sure. Friends, how differently, though, would we steward our lives if we didn't really care what other people thought? as it pertains to this, if we gave the credence of God's opinion more than the voices we hear around us. Listen, Jesus frees us from needing the approval of others. Some of you need to hear this today. Your value, your worth is not captured in social media. Your value, your worth is not measured in how long it takes for someone to respond to your text. Your value, your worth is not measured in how much time you spend serving, even doing good things. If you've made a principal decision and someone doesn't understand it and you can ground it in the Bible, come on, stand on the principle, even if it is a Christian friend. People don't understand and that's okay. We're to be different. When did that change? Jesus has freed us from the need of finding our significance and what other people think. He's freed us from needing to find our security by impressing others. And most certainly, we do not need to find our significance by fitting in any longer. Come on, friends, stop and think about it. Look at verse five. 
these who are judging, these who are engaged in these worldly activities, uh, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. They will give an account to the one who's judging the living and the dead. The ones who may be judging you today one day will stand before the Lord in judgment. And friends, come on, that ought to give us empathy toward them. Very rarely ought we want to swing back physically in the flesh because ultimately this is a spiritual battle. Ultimately their hearts are gripped by the ways of sin in the world. And one day if you are willing to endure with peace, they will stand before their maker and have to give an account. And we would just pray that our response to them would draw them and ask them to say, what is this hope that is in you? Those who judge you for your spiritual life will one day stand before the spiritual judge. Come on, that ought to make us shake. When you think about it, man, the empathy, what is the irony of this? Think about the irony of this. A person who is dead in spirit telling you that your life stinks? A person who is blind in spirit telling you that you're nothing to look at? A person who is poor in spirit telling you that you don't have enough? Come on, church. Come on, Christian, let's get our heads around this. It's time for us to think differently. It's time for us to really begin to realize what we can move past, what other people think. We will steward our lives to the glory of God with so much more efficiency. Our time and our money would all be spent differently in light of this. Listen, the world's voice Your friend's voice, whomever's voice, may sound incredibly loud in the moment. But a moment is coming when there's only one voice you'll hear. But too often we go on living as if we have too little until it's too late. What will that voice say to you? What do you long for that voice to say to you? Matthew 25, verse 23. You know this passage so well. Oh, how we long to hear this. Well done. Well done, good. Well done, faithful steward. You've been faithful over a little. You've been faithful over a short time. Come on, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. These are the words that we want to hear. And here's what we need to come to grips with today. God has freed us from our own passions and we can find our security in our salvation. Jesus Christ and his work has freed us from the impression and the pressures of others. And now here's the final point. Salvation has secured us as well by freeing us from sin's penalty. Salvation has freed us from sin's penalty. Look at verse 6. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who were dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they may live in the spirit 
the way God does. Let me read that again. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they may live in the spirit the way God does. Now what in the world is this verse saying? If you read your pastor's note and you were reading over this passage this week, I don't know about you, but this was a place where I had to spend an extra amount of time. I had to read this verse over and over and over. I had to study it in the context. I'm trying to figure out, like, who's the dead person here and who's judging who in the flesh and how does this work? And now, now, now they may be, they're alive in the spirit. What in the world is happening? Read it again. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. What Peter is saying here is that this is, what I want you to understand is this is why the gospel was preached. The gospel was preached and people had received the gospel and now they have moved on into eternity. I wanted to set your minds on those who've received the gospel of Jesus Christ while here on this earth, but now they are dead and now they have moved on into eternity. Look, this is why the gospel was preached to everyone. But now I want you to consider those who are dead and those who are moved on. Now listen, they're in heaven now. That though they were judged in the flesh the way people are. You see, they received the gospel, they lived on this earth, but they're, they're, they've died and gone to heaven. And just like you and me, while they were alive, they were judged in the flesh just like you and I are judged in the flesh. They endured persecution just like you and I endure per trials and persecution. They too were maligned. They too were made fun of. They too. Some of the folks that Peter may be talking about right here in this passage are those who actually gave their lives for Jesus. And what he's saying is this. Come on. Get your mind on those who've accepted Christ and are now in heaven. Yes, they were made fun of on earth, and yes, they suffered for Jesus on earth, but come on, they are now living in spirit with God. What is Peter saying? Think about what's to come. Think about those you love who are now before the Father living with him in spirit. Basically, what Peter is saying is this. You are living your worst life now. You are living your worst life now. The only judgment of condemnation because of the power of the gospel, the only condemning judgment you will ever feel is right here on this earth. Because when glory comes, when you sit before that great white throne, when you stand before and Jesus pronounces you as clean and he says your name which is written down in the Lamb's book of life, you will enter into his rest. Friends, just think about the perspective of those who are residing with the Father in heaven. Some of you have, all of us, have loved ones who've gone before us in this way. Do you think they're worried about their earthly, fleshly passions right now? Do you think they care what other people think? Do 
Do you think, you think they think even an ink, even, is there even an inkling in their mind about the size of their house? And if I would have leveraged a little bit here, we could have moved there. And I could have took this job over here. And I, I could have had this brand of chariot if only I had. Does that, is that coming into their minds at all? Do you think they would care about how many likes they got on their Facebooks? And do you think, do you think if they could come back to earth, how do you think they would spend their time? Do you think they would, there's even a chance that they would be binge watching Netflix at any point? Once you've come in and you've grasped the glory of God, when you've come to realize how short this earth, our time on earth really is, it will change the way that we live. Do you think if they could come back to heaven and God said, come on, you can come on back to heaven, do you think that they would choose to come on back and be someone more powerful or influential than before? Or do you think they would recognize that they were exactly who God made them to be while here on earth? Friends, not a chance. They're with God. Peter says they are now living life with God in the Spirit. They are experiencing eternity. And they wouldn't give up. And they would not come back in a second if we came to realize how short this life really was. And if we could grasp how glorious Jesus Christ and his eternity is, we would take a lot more risks for the Lord. Come on, think on back to your perspective when you were a freshman in high school. How long did high school seem like it was going to last? Come on, parent who's raised a child. When you held that little one in your arms and you thought the crying would never stop and you watched them walk down the aisle and be wed. Come on, how long did that take? We are nearly 20 years into a new century. How fast did that go? If we truly came to realize how short time really is. And if we came to even begin to ponder how glorious heaven will be. I'm telling you, we will take a lot more risks for the Lord and we will steward our lives in a way that seems crazy to everybody else. Salvation frees us from sin's penalty in hell. Sin frees us from sin's penalty. Heaven awaits us and this perspective causes me to live a different way. Some of us are spending too much time building our heaven here. Too many days I spend my day seeking to build heaven here. We can do that, you know, so long as we're building in the power of the gospel, so long as we're sharing our faith with others, so long as we're not driven by our passions anymore, so long that we're not driven by the thoughts of others, so long as we're sharing with other people that we're no longer gripped by sin's penalty and they don't need to be anymore. We can, we can in a sense, we can in a sense build heaven here. At least it's populous we can, can we not? Friends, if this doesn't change the way you steward your life, nothing will. If this doesn't change the way you steward your life, nothing will. And so the question today is this, how have you been stewarding your life? 
How have you been stewarding the grace of salvation? When, I, when we look at our lives, when we look at our time, when we look at our bank accounts, when we look at how we use the days that we have, when people say it is obvious that they are stewarding the grace of salvation so incredibly well, certainly it would never be said of them, too little, too late. This is a series on life stewardship. And ultimately, success and good stewardship in this earth is not what we amass here, but ultimately what we amass in heaven. Matthew 6, 19 through 21, you know this. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves can ever break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Would you stand with me? Too often in life, we go on believing that we have too little until it's too late. Too often we go on believing that we, haven't, we don't have enough and we're just not sure and what is the Lord going to do? And today, friends, for those of you who know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, hear this. Jesus Christ has given us everything we need to serve him. Jesus Christ today, through the text of his scripture, has pulled back the veil of heaven and he wants you to know that this is what awaits. But for others of us in this room, you need to hear today this. Heaven awaits for those who repent of their sins and receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The scriptures say, now is the time. Today is the day of salvation because for those who haven't accepted Christ, there will come a day when there will have been too little done too late. But hear me, Jesus Christ has done it all if you would repent and accept him right now. And so Father, we come to you Father, we come to you and we appeal to you by the power of your word, by the presence of your Holy Spirit, God, that you would penetrate our hearts here. Father, I would pray for those who are uncertain about their eternity with you, God, that they would humble themselves today, that they would realize that the time is now. The days are short. We're not promised tomorrow, but your scriptures offer them the gift of salvation today. Father, you say if we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that we would be saved. Father, I pray, even for the one who's having trouble believing, God, that you would give them the strength to believe today. May they cry out to you in their own words that they want to trust you as their Lord and as their Savior. Father, maybe in their own words right now, they would say that they long to believe and that they do believe that you died for their sins, was buried, and rose again. Father, we're grateful that your scriptures tell us that for those who confess of their sins and cry out to you for salvation, believing your son has died and rose again, that you would make them a new creature. 
that the rest of the truth of this series would be, would, would, be a, would be great application to them and to the rest of us, Lord God. That they be able to live their lives in a new and a fulfilling way. Please, Lord God, let it be so. And Father, for all of us who name you as our Savior and as our Lord, God, we want to surrender to you this morning. We want to surrender who we are. We want to surrender all we have. We want to surrender our fleshly passions over to you. Father, we want to surrender our fears. We want to surrender our doubts. We want to surrender our pains that drive us that we try to salve so often. God, we want to surrender them now. God, please heal hearts. Please give hope. Please give us perspective to realize the potential that your salvation gives us, we pray. But now in these moments, God, may we sing back to you this truth that we hold dear. Lord God, we long to surrender to you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.